0: Welcome home to some of you who are stepping in through these doors for the very first time since the pandemic began. And I know over the last few weeks we've begun to see uh, faces that I know you've seen us, but I personally have not seen you. And it's funny running into people who uh, over the last year and a half we haven't seen. And I have this look of just um, shock and excitement and they look at me with some confusion. They're like, well, we've seen you every week and I'm like, but I haven't seen you. So let me be excited for a moment to see you today and say welcome home to all of you uh, who uh, who have came today. And isn't it amazing that our kids are able to do something on a Sunday morning again? I just wanna thank God for that. Just driving in this morning, seeing the stuff outside it just reminds me of our the faithfulness and the, the word that I just sense God put on my heart is that faithful I have been and faithful I will be. And God is faithful today. He is faithful. And no matter what you are holding on to today, He is faithful. And so just pray that over your life. God, you are faithful and I will trust in your faithfulness. Uh, but as we uh, before we jump into the word, I do want to take a moment to share our heart about how we as a church at Life Center are moving forward uh, in COVID. And if you've been watching online at all in Orleans, Pastor Jason has shared this update the last few weeks. Uh, but I want to update our campus as well as we move forward. And this was kind of pre-written before Friday's announcement that we're staying in Stage Three for whatever. So you have to bear with me. But as we near the completion of uh, Ontario's Step Three. Uh, Whatever happens, whenever happens, we know that at some point in the near future, uh, further reduction of most public health restrictions is coming. And we believe that uh, this will first include being closer t- uh, than six feet, and at some point in the future, we don't know when, the removal of wearing masks indoors. And so we want to make an assumption that what is true in the city is true here at Life Center. And that is that when it comes to uh, church gatherings and in the city, if we have north of 70%, 80%, whatever it is who is uh, vaccinated, that leaves that there are 30% with either a single dose or no dose whatsoever for a variety of reasons and so as life center our desire after such a a long and prolonged difficult and divisive season is to return to seeing one another face-to-face but more importantly heart-to-heart To To do this takes each of us So what we want to do in the season coming forward is to practice the the spiritual gift and discipline of hospitality we're not asking you to not be you, but we are asking you to not make it all about you. So our goal in all of this is to be a people who are slower to speak and quicker to listen, And let me tell you, even as a staff, as a pastoral staff, we're united in our approach going forward, but we see COVID differently. We see restrictions and and measures and and all that's involved differently, but together we are united in our posture. And this is our posture as we move forward, that all of the pastors and everyone who serves here at Life Center will have masks on them. Even when the masks are no longer required, we will carry masks on us, anybody who serves here at Life Center or who is on staff. And so we know that there are some of you who will make the personal choice to continue wearing masks. And we we bless that. We honor that. And as an act of hospitality, when we are engaging with anybody who is wearing a mask in the future, we will just very simply uh, put on a mask to, em- and we will uh, embrace this posture moving forward. And so we're inviting you as well that perhaps if you are Coming up to someone who is wearing a mask, and and you want to jump in fellowship, that perhaps consider also carrying a mask with you at church uh, as an act of hospitality. And we know that there are some who who absolutely hair, hate masks, um, but we're asking you to uh, practice the gift of hospitality. That in Christ we have the free, we will have the freedom eventually. Uh, But we do not want to be a stumbling block to anyone who has, who has come, because we're family, right? This is a place of worship for the family of God. So we're asking you uh, to just perhaps put aside that preference in an act of love. So we desire Life Center to be a church for everyone. So we have this opportunity to serve one another, to think about others before ourselves. See, Life Center, following Jesus is already a narrow enough road, isn't it? Let's not allow the enemy to destroy relationships between us uh, due to differing thoughts, opinions and beliefs in the season. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Amen. And really, what everything that we just shared really articulates the heart of this summer series on spiritual conflict. As Christians, it's critical we discern where in this moment, what in this moment is spiritual and what is not spiritual, so that we as believers know where to engage and where not to engage, where we need to step forward in prayer, in faith, you know, in spirit, and where we need to step back in humility, in love, in surrender. Ephesians 6.12 really captures the heart of this summer series, and it says, "'For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies.'" but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And to recap where we are, because some of you are joining us kind of halfway through, you know, we're in this summer series on spiritual conflict. And spiritual conflict is the fight that takes place around the two things that God is always doing. That At all times, God is doing two things. He is bringing salvation, and he is bringing freedom. He is setting, He's saving others in his kingdom, and he is setting others free. But we know that the kingdom of darkness comes against the kingdom of God and tries to, as Jesus said, kill, steal, and destroy those, that work of God that is saving others and setting others free. And so at the very center of that conflict is us, humans, God's creation, who are created in the very image of a loving God. But the good news is that no matter what in this fight against the powers and principalities we are never victims we are always victors that we are more than conquerors in christ and god has never once nor ever will leave you or i helpless or alone but he watches over us he protects us he enables us by the power of his spirit to say no to sin and to say yes to god and his holiness and so Yes, you and I, we are in spiritual conflict, but no matter how much we toil, we wrestle, we strive here, here on earth, our victory in Christ is assured. It is sh- assured. And so since our victory in Christ is guaranteed, we are free to do two things. And those two things are, we are called to grow in awareness of the spiritual conflict that exists all around us. We need to grow in our awareness of who God is, who we are in Christ, who the enemy is and what the enemy is doing, but not just to simply know but to engage, to get active in our, and to exercise our God-given authority, not to be a bystander in the victory that God is bringing, but to actively be part of it. So the whole purpose for this series is not just to shift our perspective of spiritual conflict, but to shift our praxis, and so this morning, I believe, serves as a transition point in our series, because I, I think what we've done is over the last several weeks, we've kind of taken the plane up in the air, and we've looked from this like 10,000 foot view of what spiritual conflict is, and, and, how, and, and it's different, different elements of it. But I think now, from between now and Labor Day, we're going to begin trying to land the plane, so to speak, and we're going to begin to look practically at what it means to engage in spiritual conflict. But it's said that when a plane begins to descend, that is when a plane will often experience the majority of its turbulence. That's something in the shifting of the air, and I don't know, maybe somebody knows more about that. But often it's in the descent where the turbulence is often experienced. And so this morning, we just wanna look very briefly at some of the turbulence you and I, we are going to encounter as we begin to engage in this cosmic battle between good and evil. So issue number one, here's issue number one. The supernatural is either nowhere or it is everywhere. Have you ever looked at something with another person and both of you saw that same thing and you looked at it with two different perspectives? I mean, just think about the last year and a half. It pretty much feels like we've looked at the same thing, but it feels like we're all looking at different things with different perspectives, right? You know, it reminds me too of a more humorous example back in 2015 of when the internet kind of caught fire over the controversy known as the dress. Do you remember that the dress that in 2015 somebody posted this picture of this dress online and just simply made in jest the comment, you know, is it black or blue or is it white and gold? Anybody remember what I'm talking about? Is it and and it was hilarious because you had this 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 uh, this mixed opinion. You would. You're looking at it, and I mean, reality is what you see, right? And it, and, I, and I saw white and gold, and then you know somebody next to me would be like, "Are you joking me? Like, are you mad? It's black and blue." And it was humorous. It was never very serious, but we would argue, and there was this kind of this controversy over what color is this dress it was revealed later on that what was happening was that everyone, we have different color perception, which enables us to see uh, different colors differently. But it was the same dress, but seen very differently by two sets of people. And in the body of Christ, how many of you know that it can be quite similar? I mean, I love how in the body of Christ, there can be a beautiful sense of diversity, I think in fact, uh, while in heaven, there's gonna be no denominations, but I think here on earth, we can learn from one another. In fact, I think that every denomination really expresses or articulates a part of who God is in a way that others don't. And so I think we can learn from one another. But when it comes to spiritual conflict and all that it entails, uh, there tends to be two perspectives for how we view God and all that is involved in spiritual conflict. Uh, James Callis, he is a, an American theologian who also played in the NFL, which I think is really cool. I think that's just really cool. He's a theologian, NFL, kind of my kind of guy. But he calls these two perspectives the God word view and the Satan word view. Now, let me just say, I don't love that terminology. I don't love when it comes to talking about perspectives of God using, you know, using the word Satan. but. I think it's important to draw this distinction, as when you read the Gospels, the majority, and Callis says that up to 80% of the Gospels has this latter view of God, this perspective of God. But when you ask any believer to summarize in their words, what is the Gospel? Tell me what is the Gospel? Who is God? What we tend to see is what people will describe is often the God-word view, and that is the perspective of God that emphasizes themes such as love, faith, peace free will, and they would obviously be correct. But what happens is that there are tends to be some in the body of Christ who only want to view God from this perspective, because there's safety to be found in, in, in centering ourselves in the blessings of God and positive affirmations. But when you read the gospels, when you read the New Testament in its entirety, you quickly discover that blessings and positive affirmations are not the only way to understand and see what God is doing. You see, while the gospel of Jesus Christ is is the good news of what Christ has done for us, there is so much more in the story of Christ than what Christ has done for you and for me. That on the other side, the other perspective of the gospel, of, of what Christ has done for us, is what Christ did to Satan. What Christ did to Satan and all of God's enemies. And I hope you know by now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, how seriously Jesus and really the Bible take Satan, the demonic, and all of its activities. You know, Jesus had plenty of interactions with the demonic. In fact, one-fifth of his, all of his miracles had something to do with deliverance, delivering somebody from possession, uh, demonic possession. And the reason that Jesus didn't just tolerate the demonic, but he delivered and he dealt with them severely, is that he was equally concerned with one's freedom as he was their salvation. You know, Luke chapter 4, 18 to 19 really summarizes the heart of Jesus's ministry. You know, his purpose, his, the, the goal of all of his ministry. And, and it says in Luke 4, 18 to 19, Jesus is, is proclaiming that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives. And the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty, to set at freedom, those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so what this looks like practically when it comes to understanding both perspectives, how you and I, we might approach the gospel is something like this. That in the Godward view, we might say that God is completely in control. And absolutely, how many of you know God is completely in control? The number one song, did you know the number one song we sang last year, Sarah brought this to our attention at a recent worship meeting, is that song, "My God is still in control." There's for a reason that in a season where it feels like everything's out of control, that we centered our heart on God, you are completely and utterly in control. But the Satan word view is, is the recognition that Satan does have some measure of control here on Earth, though it is far, far, far less. The word view would say that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We chose to disobey God. But the other perspective would say that we are slaves to our sin and cannot resist sin in our own power, that in a way we are victims to our sin. word view says we have free will, that we have misused our freedom. The Satan word view would say that humans are helpless and, are, and have fallen victim to supernatural forces. That on the cross, the Godward view would say, Jesus, you paid my debt, and you reconciled me back to the Father. The other perspective would see that on the cross, Jesus won the victory over sin and death. Resurrection is the Father's affirmation of His son. And on the other side, resurrection is the humiliation of all of God's enemies. And the result of Jesus holding the keys to death and Hades. Finally, when Jesus does return, it will signify the beginning of our heavenly reign with Christ. Amen? When Jesus' return on the other side of that perspective is that it will signify the end of Satan's reign here on earth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Why does having both these perspectives actually really matter? Well, because when we just view God in what God has done for us, there's this possibility that we neglect or we miss the places or the areas of our lives and the lives of others that are still in captivity that are in need of liberation. Jesus came, said, I came to bri- proclaim liberty, to bring liberty to those in captivity. That there are strongholds where God needs to be broken down. That there are some believers who are saved, but the sad, tragic truth is that they are content with just being saved. God did not just come to save you. He came to set you free of all sin and its strongholds on your life. But on the other hand, seeing God only through the lens of what God is doing to Satan can lead us to believing that behind every issue is a demon. Right? I I know I made that bad joke in week one that if, you know, your wife is cranky, no, I'm not going to go there. But that any negative experience can be attributed to supernatural opposition. And let me just say, this has led to untold pain and suffering experienced by those who have struggled with such things as mental illness depression, anxiety, but who have been dismissed uh, for people thinking and equating that all they simply need to do is just get free. And for the believer, I think uh, this really brings the heart of it, is that it can cause us to neglect the very foundation of our calling, and that is no matter what spiritual opposition another person faces, our calling is to love and to have compassion on all those, regardless of what the source for their spiritual imprisonment is. In fact, when you look at Jesus' life, and specifically you look at his interactions with those who are possessed by demons, Jesus never stopped having compassion. Isn't that neat? That while he never denied the reality of the supernatural, he also never once condemned anyone who is possessed by a demon. All he did was he simply delivered them as if they were a helpless victim. And not only that, to those whom he delivered He set them apart, and he he sent them back out as ministers of the gospel. How amazing is that? Luke chapter 8 tells us a story how Jesus, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, of how Jesus casted a legion of demons, a legion, which is like a thousand demons. And we don't know if that demon, which announced himself as his name as Legion, was lying or telling the truth, but a legion would be a very large number. And Jesus, you know, Jesus casts this legion of demons out of the man, but before he does, the demons, they beg Jesus not to be cast into the abyss, but to be sent into a herd of pigs. And Jesus, you know, he grants them permission to to be delivered from the man into the herd of pigs. And what happens next is the pigs, the, the demons drive the pigs off the cliff into their death in order to turn those in the town who had come to make their living by this herd of pigs against Jesus. But when the man kind of was delivered and he came to, this is what happens. He comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 8, 38, and says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. I love that. He said, Jesus, can I be with you? Can I come with you? But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. How awesome is that? That Jesus not only sets this man free, but he commissions him. He sends him out to evangelize and proclaim all that Christ has done for him. But here's what happens after this encounter. Luke actually tells the gospel writer, he tells another story. And we pick up in verse 42 to 48. And as Jesus went the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, It's interesting that you would deny touching Jesus. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This really brings us to our second issue. You know, that the woman had an issue of blood and, and for many, many years, and she had done all that she could in the natural realm. She had seen every doctor that she could. She had sought all the medical help that she could. She spent all her money, it says, her all of her living on, you know, treatment. But none of it mattered. And the worst of all, not only was she unhealed, but by this condition, it made her, unceremonially, her ceremonially unclean. So she's not just physically unwell, she is socially and relationally unwell. And hence, that's why everyone was kind of social distancing themselves from this woman. You know, she was unclean. But not Jesus, you know? Not Jesus. This woman breaks the six-foot barrier that society had imposed upon her, and she reaches out and touches the robe of Jesus. And she touches him, and instantly, the power of God, Jesus is, is not even aware of her, or at least is not acting like he is aware, but the power of God goes out from Jesus, and it heals this woman. And Jesus turns and he says, who touched me? Who it touched me? Because when an unclean person touches Jesus, it doesn't make Jesus unclean, but when an unclean person touches Jesus, that person becomes clean. Amen? And the highlights our second issue, and I think this is a really big one, especially in this moment. And that is, the second issue is not having a holistic approach to spiritual freedom. Because what happens is some people try to discount the, the role of the supernatural in healing with things like rationalism, explaining away the miracles of Jesus. You know, when Jesus dealt with the demonic, there are some who believe that he was accommodated to a pre-scientific worldview. Have you heard this? A pre-scientific worldview by labeling mental illness as the demonic—that Jesus was just—they're not able to comprehend sort of the medical treatment and what they're 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 um, what they're going through. And so let's just label it the demonic. But what they really have is just mental illness. That's that's not at all what was happening, as Jesus showed. The demonic was very much a spiritual reality, and is very much a spiritual reality, though that doesn't mean we need to be afraid. Demons can live in people. They can speak when spoken to, but they can also be eliminated through our Christ-given authority. But on the other hand, as much as the demonic is real, psychological challenges or physical challenges, mental, emotional challenges are very much as real. And it can be very tempting for us as believers, it can be very tempting for us to simply make everything about the supernatural for the potential of always having a solution. You know, while the demonic can be expelled, mental illness may be a lifelong burden for some to bear. And while Jesus can bring healing, as he does here for this woman, you know, not everybody is guaranteed healing here on this earth, though we are in the resurrection. I share these stories in Luke 8 because when it comes to the freedom Jesus desires to bring in our lives, we, the church, have historically not done a very good job when it comes to acknowledging and responding to those with mental health challenges. you know there has been fear i just want to confess i think it's a result of fear i think it's a result of ignorance and i think it's a result of i'll confess it apathy and if you have ever 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 been dismissed neglected by the church for this reason i want to say to you i'm sorry i'm sorry you know i have a friend i had a friend many years ago at a, a different church who was going through intense depression and i encouraged her to go get prayer and she went to this private prayer meeting and she came out of it and her face was discouraged it was it was even sadder than when she went in and i said like what happened and she said you know they they pray for me but then they said you're free you're you're free of this so go live like you're free she says i don't feel free i don't feel free of this you know church hear me i I can't help but say this with sorrow, but there is a tsunami of mental health challenges on the horizon. I don't say this as a a medical doctor. I mean, Rob, you could speak much more to this than I could. But listen to these stats. You know, one-fifth of children are experiencing a mental disorder, and God knows what this pandemic has done. Barna says that 50% of U.S. adults, so I mean U.S., but I'm sure it's transferable, 18 to 35, have expressed having anxiety and fear of failure when it comes to the future. That 39% of adults said they were of the, in this age category said they were sad and depressed, and 35% said they were lonely or isolated. We need to be prepared with more answers than just, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. Because if we aren't willing or prepared to step up, we may miss one of the greatest opportunities for the gospel that we may ever have in our lifetime. David Kinnaman says it this way, it is essential that the church shows up to offer meaningful solutions in an era of anxiety. Why? Because as great as modern medicine is, only Jesus has the power to heal and set you free. And Jesus doesn't just come to us with a dualism that it's either physical or it's spiritual. But no, he calls you and I to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. So some will approach freedom with a spiritual only view and neglect the role of mental health and medical treatment while others will approach freedom with no spiritual view whatsoever and see secular medical treatment as the only solution. But if we want to experience complete freedom in Christ, it requires a holistic freedom. A holistic freedom. How do we how do we do this? How do we how do we engage in this? Well, when I was in Bible college, you know, we lived in dorms uh, for married people, and let's just say these dorms were very appropriate for anybody who is newlywed. How many of you started out your journey in a very, very, uh, not very nice accommodations? We'll put it that way. Anyone? Well, in these accommodations, which were not very nice, we very quickly discovered that we had the issue of mice. Uh, That was not very pleasant. And we would be lying in bed, and we'd set traps for them. You know, we'd set traps, and the trap would snap. And you'd be listening, and you're, and you're like, oh, how many of them are there? And my wife, you know, elbows me like, go take care of it. And I remember one time the mouse was alive in the trap, and I had to put it out of its misery. Ugh. But we did whatever we could. We dealt, we tried to deal with the mice. We set traps, you know, we did all sorts of whatever you do. But none of it worked. They wouldn't go away, they kept coming back. So finally, after doing all that we could to take care of the mice, we decided we need to take this a different way. And we began to look for the solution. Where were these mice coming from? And what we found is that when we pulled our stove away, there was a hole about this big leading to the outside. And so we patched the hole, and guess what happened? The mice went away. The mice went away. You see, a lot of time what happens is we go after the mice. We go after the spiritual. when what we really need to do is patch the hole. That is, deal with the problems that make us vulnerable and open to spiritual attack in the first place. And for many of us, we encounter spiritual problems because we have allowed we've opened ourselves we have not dealt with the problems and the challenges in our life whether they are emotional physical uh, mental spiritual that whole can represent spiritual problems it can be people who have undealt sin in their lives or maybe you have a past dealing with occultic practices it can or it can just be emotional problems such as unforgiveness hatred for your neighbor anger fear shame guilt lust the point is for a person to receive complete freedom in Christ, both the whole and the mice need to be dealt with. But here's what I found when it comes to the supernatural. The, the demonic, the spiritual forces that, that take place are a problem, but they are rarely the primary problem. At best, they are secondary. The primary problem, and this is the solution, is dealing with both the spiritual and the emotional holes that are in someone's life. But whatever the problem is, whether it's the mice or the hole today, the solution is always Jesus. That our answer, that our freedom, it begins with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It might be Jesus plus but it is never without Jesus. It can be Jesus plus counselors. It can be Jesus plus physicians. It can be Jesus plus medicine, but most of all, when it comes to a holistic freedom, it's Jesus that we need. And that's why I just wanna stop right here at this moment i want to invite the worship team to come forward because i want to just share something that happened to me earlier in the week that as i was preparing this sermon i felt the holy spirit just stopped me right here at this point and literally just said stop talking in fact i had more points to share more issues the next issue is going to be uh you don't have to be weird to deal with the supernatural we're going to talk about some of the weirdness of it all but we'll have to leave that for another day but i i just want to ask you to stand to your feet because, and what I want to do today is I just felt the Holy Spirit stopping me in my tracks and saying, stop talking about it and give an invitation for prayer. Because if the point of this whole series is not to shift our perspective, but to, to shift our praxis, it's not going to happen if all we ever do about spiritual conflict is talk about it. Perhaps the greatest issue of all, the number one issue when it comes to spiritual conflict is our lack of prayer in these matters. Physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. That we don't pray because we lack the faith that Jesus, He actually has the power to deliver you and I, to heal you and I. Or we don't pray because we don't believe that Jesus has compassion on our issues. That Jesus doesn't love us despite our challenges. I think the very first step you and I need to do as we begin now to move in what does it mean to engage in spiritual conflict is to begin to address the conflict that is in your life. The places you've been wounded, that you've been discouraged, that you've been defeated. Maybe it's something that's in your body today. Maybe it's loneliness, anxiety, depression. Maybe it's something spiritual like undealt with sin, unforgiveness. Bitterness, whatever it may be. Whatever it is today, Jesus cares deeply for you today. He has compassion upon you. Like the man who is delivered from the demons or the woman with the issue of blood, whatever your challenge is today, Jesus comes to you with compassion and love because ultimately he has great concern for your freedom. God desires to set you free today. He desires to set you free today. But like your salvation, freedom doesn't come without first reaching out and touching him. See, when the woman reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' robe, Jesus said, who touched me? And I believe it wasn't a question of condemnation or that Jesus was asking out of anger or even surprise. I believe he asked, who touched me? It was a question asked out of affirmation and admiration for this woman's faith. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And a lot of us, I think, whether spiritual or physical, mental, emotional, we've been trying to make other things make us well. And like I said, we can't neglect fully the role and all the gifts that God has given us at our our hands. But he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. So I'm just going to invite the prayer team to come for those who have agreed to come join us here at the front. We're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time. And it's kind of the theme today. No plexiglass, kids outside. And I want to open up the altar today. I want to open up the altar today, not just to you, but I don't want to just invite you today. I want to invite your faith. I want to invite your faith that some of you today, You've got challenges, and the Lord knows that challenges you and the Lord know. It's none of our business today, but I want to offer you an opportunity to come and pray. And you know what? We'll keep the distance and do all that kind of stuff. And I want to invite you to come. Maybe you want to receive prayer today. Maybe all you want to do is just find a spot at the front and just pray and be alone with God. We won't engage you in prayer unless you engage one of our prayer team leaders. Maybe you just want to find a spot, but we call this the altar. There's no sacrifices happening. If you're wondering, you're like, don't they like... dead animals on the altar no the altar is just a symbolic place and we put it at the front of the auditorium it's a place of stepping out symbolically stepping out and moving where you are And a lot of you are internally stuck and you need to step out in faith in whatever spiritual physical whatever issue whatever challenge it is today and so by stepping out in your body it is symbolically declaring before god that i'm stepping out in faith but if God is inviting you today to reach out and touch him, don't run. Don't hide. Reach out. Because if, if, you, if you want to reach out today, know today that it is God who is inviting you to come and to touch him today. Who will touch him? Who will reach out? Who today when you leave this place that Jesus will ask, who touched me? So would you just come right now? And we're just going to sing a song, and let's just take a moment just to be with God, whether that's with being prayed for by someone up here, whether you just want to come and find a spot in the front and pray, or if you just want to pray in your seats, whatever it is, let's just take a few moments today and pray.